Well, welcome back to our week three of our series. We're going through this series on what it means to be images of God. And it's an exciting series, a series that I've been excited about because we're exploring in what ways do we reflect who God is to the world he loves. It's kind of an interesting idea that God would make us as human beings reflective of him in his image, in his likeness, so that when people look at us, they see something of him. Take a look around you. You're seated, seated in a room filled with God reflectors. That if you turn to the person next to you, you see something of the God who made them and the God who made you. And then you can kind of expand that outwards, right? We often think when we think of the beauty of creation, it's very easy for us to think of the mountains and the hills and the eagles and the streams. And that, of course, is wonderfully true. But do you realize you're seated among some of the most amazing creations of God that have ever existed or will ever exist in the history of time? Have you ever considered that? That when you got up this morning and looked in the mirror, you locked eyes with one of God's amazing (laughs) masterpieces? You did! (laughs) <laughs> it's beautiful. So we've been exploring a lot of ways. The very first, uh, we've been doing this by digging into the early creation stories because these early stories in Genesis form kind of foundational stories to the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, and they, everything that kind of goes on from there is rooted in those stories. And so we started with week one by exploring our worship, that, that how we worship God is primary to the way that we reflect who God is to the world he loves. And, and, and we, just, we just know that as human beings, the honor and the glory we have to just lift up God's name, to give him praise and to honor him for who he is, is, is an amazing and primary way that we reflect God. Last week we explored how we care for creation, that God's first mandate to us as humans is that we would actually oversee and govern according to his loving way, his creation. And we explored all that together. And if you missed any of those, I do encourage you to listen to that online or download it on iTunes and, and, and catch up because I think there's some significant things in there uh, for us as we try to grapple with what it means for us to, to be human images of God. Well, today we're looking at work. Now, work, how shall I put this? Work can be difficult, Right? Work, for some of us, is a real drudgery. Turn it up, Jack. There's got to be some sound in there. Oh, yeah. How many of you are thinking about tomorrow morning right now? Many of you are thinking of that alarm clock waking you up tomorrow morning as you head off to work. Work can be very, very difficult. Monday mornings or Wednesday afternoons or maybe we're living for the weekend. I think it's safe to say that many of us, not all of us, of course, but many of us do have kind of a love-hate relationship with work where our days drag on for weeks. Even work that we love can be hard, let alone for some of us who might be grinding it out in jobs that, well, aren't that satisfying. Maybe you're a teenager working at a grunt job under a disgruntled boss. 
Maybe you're a typical Creston resident who seems to cobble a lot together through part-time work and home-based business and mowing the neighbor's lawn and stealing someone's lunch money, like doing whatever it takes to kind of make ends meet here in this valley that isn't always flush with terrific work. Maybe you're in your mid-40s working at a, a job that hardly pays and really seems to offer very little opportunity moving forward. Maybe your work is that you're, you're the parent of a child, maybe a bunch of little ones, and maybe you're stuck at home and your work is, seems to be an endless cycle of diapers and cleaning and cooking, and then as they get older, driving them everywhere. Maybe you're a professional who's worked really hard to get where you're at, and, and you're actually working in, in, in an area that you, you thought you wanted to be in, but you can't escape the feeling that you should be feeling more satisfied with this. Like, this should, be, this should have been more meaningful. I worked hard to get here. Or perhaps you struggle with regrets. You didn't go on for that further education, or you didn't take that opportunity. Maybe you really tried to pursue something that you really uh, loved, and, and you worked it and worked it and worked it, but at the end of the day, it wasn't paying the bills, and so now you're in an area that, Maybe is, well, paying the bills, but you're less than passionate about it. Maybe for some of us who've already moved into different areas of life, maybe we're already in retirement, we reflect back on some of our work, and some of us realize we spent decades at a job in work that didn't really satisfy. Or maybe, and this can be even worse, we actually really, really loved what we did, but now it's done, and we're wondering, what does our work look like now? Maybe we've worked in areas where it's been volunteer work or we've been working in our neighborhood or we've been working for our families or our grandkids, but we feel drained and we wonder if there could be anything more. See, I, I know lots of you pretty well. I've talked to lots of you. And if I were really to be honest, I, I thought a lot about many of you this week because I know that more of us sitting here today struggle with your daily work than those of us who don't. There's, there's more of us here in this community who are dreading tomorrow morning than those who are eager when that alarm goes off to shoot out of bed and get to the daily work. That's just the reality. That's truth. And so as I was reflecting on this week, I, I thought a lot about you. I thought a lot about the conversations that I've had, even just in recent weeks. The struggle for meaningful work. The struggle to understand understand how God is present in your daily work and what it means to both work and and to rest. And that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to kind of ask, what is it about this work? And what is it about the rest that God calls us into? That's kind of our question today. How do we reflect who God is to the world he loves through our work and our rest? Well, we're going to do that same as we've been doing, we're going to dig into these foundational stories in the early chapters of Genesis. And when we do, we discover something very important. We discover that work was God's good idea. It really was. Last week we talked about, quite extensively, our role as royal priests in creation and how we represent who God is to his world in the way that, we, way that we work in the care of creation. But reflecting on that work that God has given us, that work includes, yes, the flourishing of, of, of birds and, and animals and the flourishing of God's earth, that extends, of course, fully to the flourishing of human beings, the, the flourishing of civilization. It's through this work that God has given us that he extends and continues to care 
for his world. Remember in Genesis 1, we were, we were, we were instructed by God to fill, rule, subdue, right? Remember those hand motions that I couldn't get right last week? To, 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 yeah, I've been practicing. Thanks, thanks, Val. Uh, to, to fill, rule, subdue. And then over in chapter 2, to serve and to protect. And those five actions really describe the, the, the work that God, the primary work that God has given us. All of that happens. The work that God has given to us as humans, all that happens before anything's degraded, before anything's destroyed by human sin and re- rebellion. Work is God's gift to us. And it's given for our good. It's also given for creation's good. It's given for God's glory. And you know what? That's very different than many, than many of the other stories, origin stories, that were told at the very same time as these Genesis stories were being received by God's people. When I was researching this, I came across a great talk by, by Tim Keller. He's a, a pastor in New York. He's done a lot of thinking around faith and work. And he reminded uh, us that... There, these other ancient myths, how they viewed work. Because in all, or many of these other myths, work is actually seen as a part of the evil, the nasty stuff in the world. Remember the myth of Pandora? No, Pandora's box? Get this. Okay, so Zeus is upset because humans have received the gift of fire from Prometheus, right? He punishes Prometheus. We know that story. But he decides he's going to punish the humans too. So this is how he decides to punish the humans that have received, the people that have received this gift of fire. He decides to create, and this is terrible, he decides to create as punishment the first woman. Yeah, I'm not kidding. The first woman is created as a form of punishment. Okay, so there... We'll have to probably come back to that next week when we deal with sexual identity. But, but uh, you know, there's something going on there, how, how people viewed women. But this woman is Pandora, and, and even though her name means all-gifted one, she's, she's actually given as a, you know, becomes the deceitful bane of humans. I guess men at that point. Uh, famously, Pandora opens up her box and she gives more gifts to, to men, but they're all bad gifts. They're all horrible gifts, and they can't be put back in the box. And you know what one of those gifts are? Work. Work's one of the evil, nasty things that gets out of the box that you can't put back in, and we have to suffer because of one of her, the gifts from Pandora's box. Yike. In the uh, Enuma Elish is another famous Babylonian myth, the god Marduk. There's lots of fighting that goes on in these myths. They're kind of epic. And, and one of the, the gods, god Marduk, he, he wins over other gods in the battle. And the result is that the loser gods have to serve and work and do all the menial stuff to serve the winning side. Pretty good deal. But eventually, whatever, uh, things shift. Marduk kills the enemy's husband and, um, and then uses the blood from his enemy to make more human beings or make, to make humans. And he, just, he makes these humans uh, specifically so that they can start doing the work of serving the gods. That's the purpose for which humans are made. They're not images of God, of course. They're made just to do all the, the gross stuff the gods don't want to do. That's how work is viewed in many of these stories. Well, what a difference we see when we come into the story of Genesis. When we open up those first chapters, our foundational story we discover the very first thing about God is what? That he's working. He's working. That God is doing something. It opens up and the creator is working to bring the heavens and the earth to life. In Genesis 2, even before the humans were made, what is God doing? We read this last week. God is out there planting a garden. 
that God is actually working before the humans were made. God's out there with, you know, a hoe and a plan. And he's thinking, oh, I think that tree would be great right there. And I think if I just move that hill around, because he could do that kind of thing, if I could just move that around, it would get, get, there would be a real depth of perspective here so that when they walked around the corner, they would, it would be so caught with the beauty of that vista. I think I'm going to do that here. That's what God is doing. He's like planning out this garden that he then puts the humans into. God is working. Work's not a curse. It's not a drudgery. It's not an afterthought. Rather, work is the way of God. It's the way he brings form and fullness and, ah, I like this word, fecundity, to his creation. It's how God does it. He's a worker and the work is good. And we see this later in the story too. Work is a gift and Jesus himself knew what it meant to work. Do you realize, when you think about it, do you realize that Jesus worked six times longer as a carpenter than he ever did as a healer or a teacher? Eighteen years! Eighteen years he's fixing somebody's door. Or building a bench that broke. You know what I'm saying? Eighteen years Jesus worked as a carpenter. Jesus worked with his hands to support his family. He, he, he worked to provide good business for the benefit of others, clients and neighbors. They would come to him, you know, and they would find this carpenter Jesus provided good quality work for a fair price. And they could trust him. His word was good. He always came through on time. <laughs> he always did what he said he would do. I mean, he must have had lots of business, right? A carpenter with integrity. A guy who never had to measure twice and cut, or what is it? Measure twice. Anyway. <laughs> he was a good worker. His work was not a curse. It was, it was a significant work. It was important work. It was work through which God, his father, enabled Jesus to provide for the needs of his earthly family. It could be that somewhere in the middle of that, his earthly father, Joseph, not really his father, his kind of stepdad, died. And he had to then really pick up the slack by caring for his family through the carpentry business. This was significant. For 18 years, Jesus worked as a carpenter for the good of his family and for the good of others in his community. And when Jesus did enter into the ministry, he's the one that then pointed to his heavenly father and said, my father is always working and I too am working. That was part of his defense for some of the things he did at a time when people thought he should be resting. We'll get to that. And then, His good work in us, the work that Jesus began in us and and started in you, and maybe maybe as you think back in your own life of the ways that you began to take steps toward Jesus, or you began to make decisions that were um, you know toward life and according to His teachings, and you decided you'd you'd begin to 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 stop being selfish, or you'd stop gossiping, or you you'd start being more honest in your business as you respond to what Jesus is calling you to do. You'd start to do things right in your relationships, and you you'd start to follow Him and trust Him with your money and with your time. Those kinds of steps as Jesus is making transformations in your life, that's His work. That's the work that He's doing in us. And we're promised in a letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in Philippi that He, God, the Father, who began His good work in us would carry it through to completion because that's the kind of worker that God is. He does good work and what He starts, He finishes the father the son the spirit are workers and their work is good but we're workers too we've been created in his image right as those who are created in the image of god we too are workers and through our work we reflect his character and his goodness to the world that he loves we were created to actually join god in his work 
join him in the work that he was already doing. Work, the work that God created us to do was never seen as a curse under which we must suffer. Even though sometimes it has felt like that, I realize. Rather, it's through the work God has given us purpose. It's, it's through the work God has given us that we're able to care for each other, able to care for our families, able to care for the world that he loves. And this, this work is significant. You know, later on, another letter in the New Testament, we're told that, as I already said this morning when we started, that, that you and I are a result of God's masterwork, that you're his masterpiece, that, that you're like the pinnacle of God's creative genius. The next time you're feeling kind of down, just re- remember that. When God, when God made you, it was like a master stroke of genius. We're his masterpiece. We were created as masterpieces in Christ Jesus. This is from a, the letter of Ephesians, chapter 2. We were created in Christ Jesus as masterpieces to do good works, to keep going with the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So our work is good. God gave it to us. There's a few ways that our work is good. I've, I've already talked about this a little bit, but let me explore it a little further. God shows his care for us and for others through our work. I was really struck by this. Again, I'm drawing on some of what Tim Keller uh, says in, in some of his teaching. He, he reflects back on Martin Luther. And Luther is this you know, famous uh, Reformation figure and really uh, powerfully effective in our uh, evangelical covenant church as one of our, one of our you know, influential hi- historical people. Uh, Luther said that God in disguise cares for you through the work of others. So, so the example he used is that the milkmaid who goes out and gathers in the cows and then milks some cows and takes that milk and maybe gives some to a neighbor and maybe feeds her own family and maybe brings some to market to sell, that that's God in disguise meeting your needs, God's loving care for you through the work of this milkmaid. I really like this idea. I think it's powerful. Have you ever thought about that? You know, all the, think of all the things you need in a week. Think of all the things that you receive. Think of all the things that you give. Whether it's the food that you eat, whether it's the shelter that you have from you know, the storm of Friday, whether it's house cleaning or whether it's a new set of shoes. You know, we ask the question, how does God give food to the hungry? Like, how does God show his care for the poor or for those who are just come in after a hard day's work and need something to eat? How does God do that? He does that through good work. Now, that good work might be your own good work. Growing a garden or putting on food on the soil. It's likely going to be also the result of the good work of other people, right? Of farmers and, and grocers and drivers and, 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 and people that actually think about, you know, how we plant seeds or people that are strategizing how do we get our supply chains working properly. That all along the way, there's people doing good work that God is present in that and He's using their work to bring, you know, eggs to your skillet. I, that's a transformative thought, actually, when you really consider. I mean, how, God, how does God care for your broken car? The car breaks down, that sucks. Do you realize that every step of the way, from the tow truck driver to, to you know, Charles at Lord Co., to... 
the driver who brought the part to the guy who designed the part to the to the to the person maybe it's you maybe you you get underneath you change that part maybe maybe it's someone else at a at a local shop maybe maybe someone drops by to pick you up and drive you somewhere while you wait for your car to be fixed all along the way people are doing good work and it's through their work that you are being cared for that god is showing his care and his love for you and martin luther's big idea was that god is in disguise caring for us through the work that he's given us to do and through the work that others do as well. From the simplest things, whether it's the, you know, the toothpaste that you bought and all the pieces that have to come together so that you and I have ah, minty fresh breath and beautiful teeth. Or whether it's things really complicated. You know, this Friday, Tennille is going to have an a MRI in, in Calgary and an ultrasound. And we're thankful for that amazing piece of equipment we're thankful for all the people that have spent years figuring out how that thing works and designed an amazing kind of instrument thankful for the specialists who could run it and i'm going to be the guy that drives her there so i get in on the glory too god uses the good work of people to care for us god also shows care for us i believe in giving us work that gives us purpose Today, perhaps some of the challenge of this talk is all the times I've been saying work, you've been thinking paid work. But that's not true. That's significant. And for lots of us, that forms a huge part of our lives still. But for others, maybe it's not so much paid work. Maybe it's volunteer work. Maybe it's the work you do with a neighbor. Maybe it's work you do with, a, with, you know, with an organization, work you even do here in this community, in this church, the work of raising your own children or or interacting with a, with a neighbor who needs a listening ear. But God shows his care for us by giving us work that gives us purpose, gives us significance. God gives us the dignity of making a difference in the world. We don't just get up in the morning and have, quote-unquote, nothing to do. If we do, if that is the case for you, then the invitation of God is to join him in his work to figure out what it means to have significant work, to have purpose, to, to be in on what God's doing, of, of making the world a better place, of caring for people, of, of living life with significance and with purpose. We were created for work, and frankly, we we're kind of lost without it. We need good work. And so it's a way that God provides purpose for us, and, and through that also often provision. And then connected to that, I also realized that this is actually one of the ways that God moves history forward toward his goals, that God... The Father has this vision to bring reconciliation to the world, to, to bring healing, to bring, to bring relationships back together, to, 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 to go into the dark places and bring his light, to bring freedom where there's slavery, to bring hope where there's despair. And, and God gives us work that enables us to participate with him in that. Sometimes it's right in the very you know, day jobs that we have, and maybe they're not very great jobs. But in the midst of that, God invites us into his good work of caring, of doing work that, that matters to people and making a difference in the lives of those we even work with. That's the good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And it's why our work, whether it's a day job or whether it's a purpose in life or whether it's volunteering or raising our own kids, it's all about using what God has given us, the work he's called us into, to help him move his goals forward to see our world changed and loved and transformed. And so the question is, what's wrong with our work then? Because if we're honest, you know, this all sounds wonderful and great, right? Work is good. We all love work. 
But that's the reality that lots of us live with. Work is a struggle. Work doesn't seem right somehow. It doesn't seem like it's working the way it's supposed to work. To say that work is good, that it's God's gift, doesn't mean that work hasn't become frustrated somehow. And difficult in some ways. But that frustration, and this is important for us, whether you're exploring the Christian faith for the first time, whether you're further along in your journey following Jesus, it's important to know that that frustration that we experience in work came after God, after humans had rejected God's plan for them. After they had sort of decided they're going to play their own gods. They're going to decide what is right and wrong for themselves. And the result of that rejection of God's leadership in their life, it led to a, a huge fracturing that went kind of all up and down the cosmos. It affected our relationship with God. It, 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 it really brought significant challenges into our relationships with each other. We felt shame within ourselves for what we had become. We blamed God. We blamed each other. And one of the results of human sin was that the earth, God's good earth that we hear two chapters all about, was no longer working quite in harmony with its caretakers. It's not now working quite as synergistically. In fact, we find out in Romans that creation against its own will was subject to the curse because of our human sin. What we do makes a difference in the world. But yet creation looks forward to the time when, I'll summarize Romans 8, God's people actually get their act together and become who God has called them to be. And then all of creation will be restored to God's original intention. It's only a work of the Spirit that can do that. But God's good earth was subject to frustration and has become difficult and and, and not in harmony because of our sin. In Genesis 3, the man is told that his work, though it's still good, was no longer going to come easy to him. Because of his insolent disobedience, God said, quote, from Genesis 3, the ground is cursed. All your life you're going to struggle to scratch a living from it. It's going to grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. It's still going to produce, but it's going to be difficult somehow. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust. And to dust you will return. The work is still good. The earth will still produce food. There will still be significance. There will still be things we were able to do and be part of. And, and yet it's going to be more difficult somehow. It's going to come now with strain, with toil, by the sweat of the brow, as though, as though creation itself, under the human images that God placed over it, as though creation itself was experiencing some of the same tragic shame that humans were experiencing, where they're wanting to be who they were created to be, and yet at the same time we're failing and falling short of that original intention of God. Doesn't that describe what we often experience? What we struggle with? Work that we thought should be better? Work that we were maybe even excited to do at one point in our lives, decades ago, or maybe when we started that job last year? And yet it's become difficult and strained and frustrating. Even good work, even work that on most days we enjoy, can sometimes just be fruitless and impossible. That's the human condition. And that's what we read in this story. It explains some things. Our sin doesn't change the fact that we're images of God, but it sure makes it more difficult to reflect them accurately, doesn't it? 
Our rebellion doesn't change the fact that we're still responsible. God is still holding us to account for how we're going to treat and care for and serve and protect His creation. But it sure has strained our relationship with it, hasn't it? Our mistrust of God's plan didn't make work a curse. But it sure does make our work subject to the curse. So that everything we do can seem less than satisfactory, less than effective, not quite meeting the goals and the hopes, not quite coming through, not quite making the changes we had hoped it would make. And so with the philosopher in Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament, we kind of echo the words, or we resonate with the words when he said, everything's meaningless. Completely meaningless, he says. And he was a bit of a drama king. But he says, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. This is one of his reflections on sort of our state and our human condition. That work is good, but work is also hard. That work is the way that God works through us to love others and to provide for us. And yet, work is often frustrating and difficult. This is true. This is really true. And I know for some of you, you're like saying, yeah, that's my life. And now a few of you are saying, well, that's not the case for me, man. I love what I do. Well, God bless you, and we are thankful for you. But man, there's lots of people that's not true about, right? And we, we want to think and pray for them. And we want to encourage those of you who really love your work to keep exploring that further, how God wants to use you in that. But thankfully, there's also rest. We also get a break, right? In the Genesis stories, we discover that not only is God a worker, He's also a rester. One of the amazing, kind of strange things about Genesis is how God, after all of His creative work, takes a day off. Right at the start of chapter 2, but it's, the start of chapter 2 is still the part of the chapter 1 story. However, they divide the chapters up a little strange. Here, here it is at the start of chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had rested from the work He'd been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Do you get the image here? God sits down, he pours himself a glass of iced tea, he puts his feet up, and he just enjoys the result of his hard work. God works, and then God rests. You know, the repetition we hear all through Genesis 1 is that at the end of each day, God has an opportunity to just sort of step back And look at what he's done. And what does he see? He sees that it is good, right? Good, 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 good. And then right at the very end, it's very good. God's work is good. But work, good work even, is not everything. We weren't designed only to work. And this is important. On the seventh day, That Genesis week, we hear the word, a new word, a word we've not heard yet, the word holy. That after the six days of work that is good, God blesses the seventh day of rest that is holy. It kind of rounds out the human story that work is good and rest is holy. That just as God worked and then rested, so we, His images, need to follow that same pattern, that same rhythm in our lives of good work and holy rest. And in fact, in doing so, we reflect who God is to the world that He loves. So let's talk a little bit about that rest. 
Remember when they're receiving this story. These early stories of Genesis are received while God's people who've been rescued out of Egypt are now sort of at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're getting their story. They're, they're actually kind of catching up with reality. They're, they're discovering who it is that has actually rescued them from Egypt because they don't really know much about this God. The stories that we hear even here in Genesis and through are, are, are sort of, they're, they're, they're the foundation. They're the backdrop to all these commands that God is now giving his people of how they're to order their lives in him, how they're to order their relationships with each other. And in the Ten Commandments, the big ten, the first four commands, and you probably, some of you have heard this before, the first four commands all to do with our relationship with God, right? You know, no other gods before me. Don't make images of the things to worship. No graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. And, and remember the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Don't work on it. And then the last six commands in the great, in the great Ten Commandments are all about our relationships with others. Honor your mom and dad. Uh, don't murder. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And realizing how important those are to society. And that's why Jesus is able to summarize all those with the two key commands, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Because really it does summarize those, those, those Ten Commandments. But the fourth command, the command to keep the seventh day holy, is an interesting one. It's kind of a bridge command because it touches both on the relationship we have with God and the effect that has on our relationship with others. It's about a command to not work. And it, 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 it's very related to both worship and, and, and relationships with each other. And what's interesting in the Old Testament is there's two places where we hear the Ten Commandments. So first we hear it in Exodus chapter 20 when you know the children of Israel are at the foot of the mountain and they're actually getting it for the first time. That's where we hear it. And then later, Moses repeats it to the next generation of, 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 of kids, of the people who received it at the foot of the mountain. They're all dead. So the, the next gen people get told again the bits of their story, and part of that is relaying to them the Ten Commandments. But what's interesting to me is that in those two tellings, the reason why they keep that Seventh-day Holy is different. They're given different reasons. That's fascinating. In the first one, in Exodus 20, the reason they're given is God's example in creation. Uh, Listen to this really quick. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Listen to this, though. Not just you. Neither you, nor your son or daughter. And then this is radical. We, don't, we skip over this and think this is no big deal. But this is radical business. Listen to this. Not your male or female servant, either. What? They get a deal? Nor your animals. Nor any foreigner residing in your town. Everybody, including your dog, gets the day off. There's no exceptions. Everybody gets the off. Okay, then, here's the reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In this first command, the first time that, that the Ten Commandments are related in Exodus 20, we are to mimic God. We're to uh, uh, reflect God even in the pattern of our work and rest where we are actually following his lead. We're doing it like him, where we work for six days and then we rest for a second as a way of patterning our lives after the one who made us. So it's interesting that we're even reflecting who God is in the very way that we work. Like whether or not we actually take a day off reflects God. Well, that's something to think about. 
Well, over in Deuteronomy 5, which is the whole Deuteronomy is like a recap book where a bunch of stuff gets repeated, stuff that's already been said in earlier books, um, the reason given is now different. I won't read the first part because it's basically all the same. Give everybody a day off. And then he says, remember, this is the reason, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to take a Sabbath day. In the second telling, holy rest is a sign of our freedom. It's a sign that you aren't a slave anymore because what do slaves do? Do slaves get days off? No, they don't get days off. Did you get days off? Did your mom and dad, more accurately in Deuteronomy, did your mom and dad get a day off when they were making bricks for Pharaoh? No, they didn't. Nobody's given them a day off because they're slaves. They do what they're told and they work, work, work until they die. How many of us feel like we're work, work, work until we die? Isn't it amazing that holy rest is given as a sign that God's people aren't slaves anymore? They're free. Rather than seeing, and I know for a long time, people have seen the, and, and it's been mistreated. It was mistreated in Jesus' day, mistreated in Christian history, as though the Sabbath becomes this difficult thing, you know, and this oh, filled up with regulations and rules, and it wasn't a joyful thing at all. I get that. But, but what we see here is that this day of rest is actually to be received as a gift. It's like your boss came in Thursday afternoon and said, oh, by the way, all the work you had to do tomorrow, I just did it. You can have a long weekend. Now, do you receive that as an arduous command to keep? Or do you leave the office that day a little lighter, knowing that you're not like taking a day off that's going to then bite you in the butt on Monday because you left a bunch of work undone, but rather that you actually got a day off that you weren't expecting, and isn't that awesome? This is the gift that God has given his people. You no longer are slaves, so live like it. Take a day off. Show that you trust me to provide for you. What does all this mean? Both in our work and in our rest, as well as the rhythm of that in our lives, they are reflections of who God is to the world that he loves. I think a couple of implications as we close today. The first one is, and I'm taking this phrase directly, I've stolen three things from Tim Keller today. This is the third one. God bless Tim. First one is, he said, And I repeat, our work matters to God, and God matters to our work. This is really true. Our work matters to God. What we do matters to Him. And again, I'm not, you know, yes, paid work, volunteer work, working for your family, working for yourself, cleaning up after dinner. This all matters to God. It really does. How we do our work, the integrity of our work, the values of our work, the way that we do good work, the way that we serve one another, the things we are invested in, the things we get up in the morning we're excited to do, all that matters to God. He really cares what you're on about. He really does. That not a single one of us, no matter where we are in life, what stage we have, whatever we get up and we are purposed to do that day, God actually cares about it. And that should, I think, encourage some of us who wonder if God cares about what I do. Because you look at what you do and you think, who would care about this? I don't care about this. But God does. He really does care about your work. He cares about you. He cares about your work. For some others of us, it might give us a bit of a check. Because we're like, oh, God actually cares about what I'm doing. Perhaps I should rethink what I'm doing or not doing. God cares about our work. But also, or God matters to our work. Our work matters to God. But also God matters to our work so that we really do receive this sense of 
God, you, how do you want to affect my work? Like, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to engage this work that may be difficult for me, that I may be wanting to get out of, that I may kick my way into work every Monday morning or Friday afternoon or whatever it is? How do you actually want to matter to my work, to influence my heart, my mind, to to engage this in a way that does reflect your character, your goodness, and your love? Maybe to the people I work with, Maybe to my own self and to the family I care for. Maybe just to the people that I'm serving. In the New Testament, one of Paul's letters said that whatever we do, whatever we do, to work at it with all our heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Now, he was speaking directly to some slaves. Slaves that had to figure out what that meant to be a free follower of Jesus but living under an earthly master. But I think the application can be very strong for some of us who feel stuck in our work or feel trapped. But also for all of us to see the work that God has given us as an opportunity to work for the Lord, to work for Jesus, and to see our work give him glory. So that's the first one. Our work matters to God. God matters to our work. The second one and third one, I'll be a little more quick. Um, Though our work is frustrating, I think we can see God's care in it. I was really struck by this. How does this help me see my work differently? How does this help me see your work differently? In particular, maybe, how does this help all of us even have a bit of a mind shift, uh, those around us who are working, who are serving? The person who is helping you fix your car or or, or, or you, you're, you're meeting at a, a restaurant, or, or someone that's serving you in some way, or, or someone that's, that's doing work you see. And maybe it's even work that you think, I'm glad I'm not doing that work. To realize, wow, God has given them the dignity, us the dignity of doing work that has real meaning. And I think when we realize that God, in his loving care, uses the good work of each other to care for us and to care for others, it really, I think it raises the value of our work. I think it helps us to not only see our own work more significantly, but the work of others around us and to give God praise for them, but perhaps even to give them thanks, to to, to be able to thank them for what they are doing, the way that they are helping. And then as we think about our rest, though I do think rest is often elusive, I think that we can demonstrate our trust in God by embracing or adopting or working toward healthy rhythms of work and rest. You know, we are a freed people. We don't need to work as slaves. And often when we are work, 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 and I don't just mean paid work. I mean we get home and we just work, 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 work. And every time anyone's around, we're working, working, working. That perhaps God is inviting us to rest in him a bit. Because sometimes our expression of work, 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 work is actually an expression of mistrust. And God is inviting us to trust him, to live as a freed person, to put your feet up every once in a while, kick back and just enjoy the good things that God is doing in our lives and around us, the good work that God is doing through you. And that rhythm, I believe, as we obediently even follow his command to be a people who rest in trust, but also work in the good things that he's given to us, that really does reflect God to the world. It reflects who he is. What I'd like to do today, and Danny's going to help me with this, is I'd I'd really like to pray for you, to pray for us. Because I know that maybe not everyone here today has heard this in the same way. I get that. That's never true, right? We we never hear it in the same way. 
I just know that there's lots of us who need to know that God has called you into good work. That, that God actually matters and cares about what you're doing. And, and, and I'd like to pray for you and your work. Maybe you're struggling with work. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you need a new perspective. Maybe you need a new infusion of work that you've been just kind of drifting around without purpose and you need to ask God, what is the work you have for me? But I'd like to pray with you in that and I'd like to bless you in that. And then also recognizing that there are many for whom work is an overwhelming, difficult, um, tiring, exhausting thing. And that I'd like to pray that you would receive God's rest. That you would really receive his invitation to rest. And you would, you would take that up, even this afternoon, an opportunity to rest. Not just as a way of like, finally I get a few more hours off till work starts again, but rather the kind of rest that invites you to enjoy, to, 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 to receive God's restoration. To maybe even in that resting, receive a different perspective on the work to which you must return. And what I'd like to invite you to do today, I'm going to pray for you, but we're going to play a song, and while we do that, we want to invite you to, we've done this a few times before, we would like to invite you, you don't have to do this, but if you would like, to come forward and receive a blessing with an anointing of oil on your hands. One hand will stand for rest, one hand will stand for work. But we'd like to offer you a simple blessing on the work of your hands and the rest that God has invited you into. And as you come and receive that, wherever you are at, a person who needs to receive a greater sense of how your own work matters to God, whether you need to discover more work, whether you you need to to wrestle with God's plan and ideas for your work, whatever that is, whether you struggle with rest and you need to come and say, Lord Jesus, I need your rest. You say, you know, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, I need your rest. I'm weary. I'm heavy laden. And so we want to invite you to do that, to come forward. Dana will stand there. I'll stand here and, and, and just hold out your hands, and we will bless the work of your hands and the rest that God has invited you into. And then as you gather back in your seats, I'll offer a benediction as we close. From the Psalms we hear, May the favor of the Lord God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Play the song, Jack, and then I invite you to come and receive a blessing. Let me pray for us as we close today. Father, we ask that you would establish the work of our hands, the work that you are doing through us, the good work you've called us to, be it at home, be it in the workplace, be it at school, on our streets or on our farms or on our own homes, be it here in this community. May your work, which truly is working in us, that you care about, may that flow out to bring care and healing and goodness from the littlest things we do to the greatest things you've called us to. May we continue to reflect who you are to the world you love. And may we be a people of freedom, a people who can do good work, and yet our identity is not bound up in that, but rather, as your freed people, we can rest in you, knowing that you have provided, that you have got us in the palm of your hand, 
And so even as we rest from the day's labors, we rest in the moments of quiet. We lay down our tools or we shut off our phones or we we cease the chatter in our minds that you would bring holy rest to us and that that too would be a reflection of your goodness, your care, your love for us and your love for the world. So Lord Jesus, we stand receiving your call to be your people of rest and your people of work. And today, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I send this community back out into their good work, into the good work that you are doing in them, and also into the holy rest that you have called us all to receive. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you.